0: You're listening to the See the Unseen podcast, where our number one focus is creating a little visibility for people who deserve a whole lot of spotlight. I'm your host, Melissa Dorjoff, and I'm here to share some amazing stories that can transform and inspire lives. So get ready to take those blinders off and see the unseen. Welcome to the podcast. Have you ever felt like you were hiding something just to fit in? Well, today's guest has hid something a part of herself for many, many years. And we're going to talk about that. She is a TEDx speaker. She is a best selling author of the book Single Handedly. And she's going to talk today about learning to unhide and embrace connection. So, welcome to the podcast, Ruth.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here.
0: I am so excited to have you. Um, First of all, I just want to say that the reason that I even started this podcast was after you and I talked, I felt like, well, we'll just tell the listeners kind of how this happened. Um, I'm scrolling through Facebook and I come across Ruth and I see that she is talking about something that she has hid for. I think it's been like over 20. Did you hide this for 25 years? 25 years Melissa. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you guys are not going to believe what you hear. So I saw this. I'm like, I have got to talk to this woman. I want to meet her. I want to hear, you know, more details about this. And so um, a lady who I was in the speaking class with, she's like, Oh, I know Ruth, I'll, I'll connect you to. And so I was like, I just want to jump on a call with her to talk to her. And I did. And what she and I talked about was just unbelievable. So I will just um, kind of throw it out here, Ruth. You you can tell the listeners, what did you hide for 25 years?
1: Yep. And I didn't always hide it. Like I actually spent the first 13 years of my life not hiding it, not thinking it was a big deal. And then I started a new high school, Melissa. And like many of us, A, starting a new school brings up anxiety, right? Or nervousness or excitement, all of the above. And it also was an opportunity to to connect with people in a different way and to you know, yeah, start this new school. And I got on that school bus the first day and in addition to it being a new school, I was also 13. And 13, that sense of fitting in is almost magnified, right? You want to do anything to kind of connect with your peers and to, to fit in. And so I got on that yellow school bus that day and was kind of checking people out, seeing if I liked people, if I didn't like people and seeing if I would be friends with them. And then someone stared at me just a little bit too long and they noticed my hand. They noticed that I was born with a limb difference. And I was born for those, for your viewers that are just listening to this, I was born missing my left hand, a fully formed hand. And with that staring, I immediately and impulsively just tucked my little hand into the front left pocket of my jeans, kind of just for what was supposed to be Melissa, that bus ride. Never thinking that I would get to school and keep hiding it, but I did. I got off the bus and thought, you know what? I just want to make friends. Like, I want to just, I don't want to have to be different. And that first day turned into that first week. That first week turned into that first year. I couldn't stop hiding. I even went back my second year to high school thinking, well, now I won't hide, like I'll just be, I'll show up as myself. And it's a little bit like lying. The more that you do it, the harder it is to stop. And so even going off to college, I thought, well, I'm gonna be someone new here and I'll stop hiding and I'll just show up as my other self. And I didn't know how to stop hiding. And I kept that pattern of wanting to unhide but hiding for 25 years, starting when I was in high school, the first day of freshman year of high school.
0: So I just think that is just the craziest thing um, that you, and so I I want to tell the viewers more about how this happened. So I know that you hid it in your pocket in like your jeans for a little while, Um, but like I'm sure that you're around people all the time. You had to use your hands to do different things. Like how, how did you continue to hide it?
1: I stopped doing some of those things that would require you to use two hands. So I stopped doing sports. I stopped doing theater that I loved. I stopped. I didn't run for student government, which I had done all through middle school. And I also found other creative ways to hide it. So I would, when I was with people, I would Wear longer sleeves, you know, and cover it up. I would hide it behind my book bag or under books. Like, I figured out ways or jackets put over my hand just to hide that part because I started to tell myself a message that it was awful to look at. Like, I really believed that people would be scared of it or that it was um, disgusting to look at. Like, I found that part of myself so ugly. And so I built an image in my head, which I think many of us do with those parts of ourselves that we don't like. And we tell ourselves that it's so much worse than it is. And so I found really creative ways to hide it or I would stop participating in things. So I stopped living my life.
0: I think I remember you saying that you, even when you went to like a gala, because you, you're you involved in so many different like charity events and and different things. Um, and you would wear these gowns, and you said you went to the extent of having a seamstress sew in a pocket in a gown, right?
1: I always bought things that had pockets. Like I never not did not have a pocket when I went to college dances or even high school dances. Everything always had a pocket. What I didn't realize is that as an adult, having now unhidden, which I know gets ahead of the story, but what I didn't realize is that I could actually get things tailored, not to put pockets in, but to actually compensate for the difference in length. Um, so, yeah, no, every dress I bought up until I stopped hiding always had pockets, always. Um, and that's not always so easy to find. I mean, bathing suits don't have pockets. So going to the beach was not fun. I, I stopped going to the beach. I stopped going skiing. stopped doing the things that I loved because I was so committed to hiding.
0: Well, I can totally understand that. I mean, I have a 13-year-old stepdaughter who just started her first day of school today. And, you know, thinking about, you know, the outfits and getting ready. And I understand all the pressure that's put on kids, you know, these days. And and for someone who had, you know, to us, you know, to me, it's not that big a deal. But for you, it was something that you were really, you wanted to hide and you didn't want the world to see. And I can't imagine, like, you just explain how many things that you did without um, and how much your life changed because you were hiding this. Um, yeah, so let's talk about um, when you decided to unhide your hand.
1: Yeah, it took a long time to unhide. It was, again, a series of, I'll do it next time. I'll start this new job, not hiding. I'll go to the college, not hiding. I'll go back for another year, not hiding, not hiding. I'll start a relationship, not hiding. And I couldn't do it. Like I literally would freeze and I got so comfortable and so certain of having it in my pocket or having it hidden that that felt safer. Um,
0: And Let Let me pause you for one second. There was never a time like you're shopping or you're, you know, eating somewhere and that like there's strangers around and nobody's there. Like you don't care about these people. Like you still would not get your hand out you did not want anyone to see it.
1: I didn't want anyone to see it and I was committed to hiding and I was truly it became it became an obsession about hiding it um I will say in fairness a little bit that I think it I also did it to make other people comfortable because I think sometimes mm. when there's something about ourselves that it feels different it's the questions are hard that you deal with the stairs are hard And it's also makes other people uncomfortable. And I think disability does that a lot with people. It makes them uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, they're gonna say the wrong thing. Uncomfortable, they're gonna look too long or uncomfortable because maybe they don't they don't find it attractive, right? So it's that, I think I made other people comfortable by hiding it.
0: I can understand how you might think that. Um, And there there are people, you know, I'm sometimes uncomfortable about you know, asking certain people questions, and I've been working, you know, around people with disabilities for over 30 years. Um, And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was to bring visibility to the people with disabilities and the challenges that people face, but then also the really cool things that they're doing too. Um, So, okay, so what was the moment? Was there one moment where like, you're like, okay, I've had enough of this, I'm going to start showing my hand?
1: I think there were a couple of things that started the, the journey. Um, I had gone to therapy because I was really exhausted and lonely in terms of building relationships, especially dating relationships. And so went to therapy and started talking about it and had gone to therapy before and kind of was, it wasn't quote unquote successful, like in terms of unhiding. And then I was in therapy and I, was, I met someone who seemed safe. And he seemed safe in terms of that he was curious, that he was asking really interesting questions, that he wanted to get to know me. He had also kind of seen it um, because I had to do something. He was, I had to do something that required two hands and it was, it felt safe. And I think that's really the second step, Melissa. The first step in unhiding is acknowledging that you're hiding acknowledging that there's something that's holding you back. And for me, that holding back was, it's I'm exhausted, I'm lonely, like this is not right. And the second step is inviting someone in, inviting someone in that you trust, inviting whether it's a friend, a coworker, sometimes in a workplace, it can be a manager or an HR leader. It's finding someone that you can let know that you're hiding. And so I invited this person in. And he showed me how to actually look at my hand. It had been buried so deep in my pocket for so long that I had never actually looked at my hand. I had never touched it. I would get frostbite every winter because I didn't know how to take care of it. Like i never protected it. And so he taught me how to love that part of myself that I found so unlovable for so long. And little by little, after I started recognizing and, and owning that part of myself, I started to let other people in too. But that second step is so critical because it's about inviting someone in. like It's actually cheap. having agency and choice to bring someone into your life. And then what happened as I started getting getting more comfortable was the third step, which was I started building community. I started finding other people with limb differences like mine and realized that this shared experience, I wasn't so alone, that I wasn't, I didn't invent hiding. I thought I had Melissa for years. I thought I was the only one hiding. And I think that happens a lot with differences and disabilities is we often think we're the only ones. And so I started to find a whole community of people with limb differences and shared experiences. And I started to realize that yeah, again, I wasn't alone and that I could start to talk about it and share it. And as I got comfortable talking about my difference and disability, people started sharing their challenges and disabilities and differences. And I started to then realize, which was the fourth step, I started to share out my journey and talk about it. And that's really the beauty of Unhiding, it's those four steps, acknowledging that you're hiding, inviting someone in, building your community, and then sharing out your story and i imagine melissa that your listeners as they're thinking when i say inviting someone in i imagine immediately someone pops into mind that they can think of oh i would i would tell that person that's what the beauty of this unhiding is and when you share your story it helps someone else and it starts almost the loop again so that people say wait what am i hiding i never felt like that i have felt like that before I didn't know that it was possible to not feel like that.
0: Right. It, it sounds like it was just so liberating uh, for you to do. And, um, you know, and we'll get to because we, you and I talked about the fact that I, you know, I had hid something uh, for many years and something that I don't know that I hid it. Um, like it, it's nothing that no one just ever asked me, really. And so I just didn't say anything. Um, but for me, that was um, graduating college, like I had gone to two years of college, um, I'd went to about a year of night school, so maybe like three years of college, but I never finished getting my degree. And I was always working around a lot of different um, executives who had been to, you know, Duke University and all of these Ivy League uh, universities, and I just felt well, I didn't come from money, um, my mom and dad couldn't afford college. So any t- college that I did go to, I had to pay for it myself. And I started working. It wasn't like I hid that for, you know, 30 years or so. Like, I mean, granted, if someone asked me, I would say, you know, I would tell them, but, you know, if they went and said, where did you go to school? I just said, well, Lewis and Clark, and it was a community college. Um, uh, but I hated it when someone would ask me. Um, and I mean, I could just, And I remember one time asking my boss years ago, he was the CEO of the company. And I said, look, you know, should I go back to college and he, you know, and get my degree or should I put all my effort into, you know, traveling, working? I was a single mom. I was traveling for my job. And, you know, he said, look, if this is what you love and you're passionate about helping uh, people who need complex wheelchairs get what they need, then no, don't, it's not going to help you. And so I made that decision back years ago. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to push forward. There's only so much of me. Um, But then, you know, later down the road, I started working with these guys that were like, you know, like I said, Ivy League um, colleges that they went to. And so I started working with a leadership coach and I spent about a year and a half with this leadership coach. And one day he asked me, he said, "Um, you know, what is your biggest insecurity? And I said, well, I don't even want to tell you. Like, I didn't even tell the leadership coach. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know. I said, fine, I'll, you know, I thought, you know what, if any time, I'm going to just say it now, like my biggest insecurity is that I didn't finish college. And he says, well, you know, do you think that if you get that degree that you're going to get paid more? I said, no. He said, do you think you need that piece of paper, you know, for what you do? And I said, no. And he said, do you want to go back to college? I said, no. And then he's like, well, what's another story you could tell yourself? And I said, well, I guess I could tell myself that, Um, You know, I have 30 years of domain expertise in the complex wheelchair industry that they will never have. And he's like, well, then start telling yourself that story. And it was just something and it was so freeing. And it's weird, because now I live, like you, I tell people my story. And it's, it's crazy how much, you know, my son would say, well, mom, you know, you should be glad you did it without a college degree. Like, you know, look how you worked your way all the way up. But that's not how I saw it. And like you, You know, I think it doesn't matter, you know, what everybody else is saying. It's like what you start, you tell yourself these stories in your mind and just releasing it, it opened you up into a whole new world. Like you're now, you know, you've written a book, uh, you did a TEDx So we're going to talk about all those things. But anyway, I kind of got off subject here. I got, I kind of went off in a different direction, but I want to take us back to when you did uncover it with this guy that you were dating, he basically loved you enough to love you, love love all parts of you. He didn't give a crap if your hand was, you know, small or not. Um, you know, I think about that too. Men, men don't care about that stuff. Like, you know, we think, like I'll sit there and think, I'm having a bad hair day. You know, and Andy's like, I don't even know what your hair looked like that day. Like he could care. I don't know if it's short, straight, whatever. He doesn't even care. If it's black, brown, whatever. But we, you know, it's what we think. So yeah. yeah so talk more about like I know you were d- at dinner or when you met him, when he said, it's okay to show it. Did you then just like, okay, I'm going to start showing it every day to everyone else or, and yeah. how did he respond? How did he react to all of it?
1: Yeah, no, I think you're saying a couple things too. Um, I think it's definitely a, there are stories that we tell ourselves for sure that are so much worse than the actual thing. And I am not talking about disability. Like, I think we, many of us do that, right? With pieces of ourselves, whether it's our education, like you're talking about, whether it's our age, whether it's our financial background, whether it's our family background, politics. I mean, people tell ourselves stories that if someone found out, our biggest fear is rejection or judgment, that they it would limit our connection to them if they found out. And so, yeah, I had told myself this tough story so it is not an overnight process it was not just meeting him and then oh i am i'm fine i'm i'm solved just like i imagine yeah even though you told that leadership coach that story it takes a while to kind of unravel it a little bit like to right let-
0: and you start gaining a little bit more confidence every time you kind of tell it or or okay releasing it
1: yeah and it's like it is it's a release and it's an exhale like you're talking about and i think that's the power of sharing out my story now is that what I see is that people say, wow, I, I hide too. Like I hide, you know, and I mean, I remember talking to a woman when I was um, looking for some connections and networking about building out my speaking business. And we got on the phone, Melissa, and she said, you know, I, I don't know, Ruth, you put a poll up on LinkedIn Um, about hiding and because I was trying to challenge a study from 2013 that said that 61% of people hide a part of themselves in the workplace. And she said, Yeah, you put that poll on LinkedIn. And I answered, no. And I said, Great. Okay. She said, Yeah, well, now talking to you and you're defining what hiding is and what covering is. She said, I do hide. And I said, Okay, what? She said, I hide two things. And I've heard multiple stories like this. So this is not really only a case example. She said, I was hired during COVID and I only have met my counterparts on their screens and they have no idea that I'm a mobile from the legs down. And I said, wow, what are you going to do when you go back to work? And she said, I don't know. She said, I'm petrified to go back to work because I don't want to be seen as high maintenance I don't want to be seen as difficult or needing accommodations. I don't, I don't want anyone to judge my work based on my disability. And we started talking about who in the organization could she tell? Is there, was there a manager? Was there an HR leader? And I said, well, you know, you mentioned two things. And she said, yeah, the other piece of my life is I have a child with mental health challenges. And I don't want anyone to know that because I'm afraid they'll think that, I can't do my job and then I can't manage my child. So, and to have both going at the same time, she's like, I've been able to do both during COVID. And I go to a lot of doctor's appointments. And Melissa, I share that because again, I think a lot of us hide parts of ourselves because we're afraid of, and that's that fear of rejection and judgment that people will see us differently or not want to connect with us. And what's sad is that it holds us back. And I'm not yeah. talking about going into a workplace and spilling all of your tea or spilling all of your you know stuff. I'm saying, how is hiding holding you back? When you talked about your the education part, like did it hold you back? Because you're afraid that somebody would find out and think less of you, right? And so then, well, I'm not gonna put myself in for that job because maybe they'll say, well, where's your college degree? That's what happens is it holds us back from ourselves. So we don't put ourselves out there so much or, and I should say, it holds us back from our teams and our the people that we connect with. And they start to make assumptions then about who we are because they're not really getting to know our full self. And then the company loses out because it's, we're not bringing our most innovative and best selves to work because we're so worried that someone's going to find out this other thing. So, right. It's a downward cycle when you hide. Um,
0: Yeah, I I kind of felt like I wouldn't be respected in some way. And so that's why I didn't tell anyone. Um, I was a little embarrassed that, you know, I didn't have that um, or the initials behind my name. But, you know, I came up with new initials that was MSH, making S happen. (laughs) Um, That was my my credentials.
1: Well, and there might have been people who cared, right? And just like the, when you mentioned the guy that I was dating, there are men out there who might care. Those are not the guys that I need to be with. Um, right. Relationships I need to have are people who care about my hand, like my limb difference. Like, there. That's not. That's not a good. That's not good for me. Um, right. And it's also an opportunity to have someone learn something different because we all have differences. Um, but yeah, no, I was very lucky in my dating history that I didn't date men who would have cared about it. This one just took the extra steps and I was ready. I think that's probably the most important part. And it sounds like even with your executive coach, you were ready. Like that was something yeah. that you could tell. And I think that's where you have to get to, being ready.
0: Right. Yeah. And and like I said, it just helps. It's actually makes you more confident the more you let go because it was, it was coming out in my own insecurities because, you know, because I thought, well, if they find out or if somebody, you know, thinks that I didn't, then they're going to treat me a different way. And then like, you almost have like a chip on your shoulder or something. And I, it came across in a lot of different ways that were not healthy. And so it was a, certainly a release, um, to where that I could be my authentic self,
1: I did- um, I didn't get close to staff members sometimes because I was hiding at work. You know, I wasn't sharing part of my journey with people, so I was still hiding. Even though I wasn't maybe physically hiding at different points, I wasn't always sharing what that journey of having a disability was like. And so we keep people at arm's length when we hide part of ourselves. And that, yeah, we don't really connect. And that's the key to connection is unhiding.
0: You know, you you mentioned something about, you know, having being in the workplace and hiding and not wanting to tell certain things about yourself and um, it, two things came to mind. I remember meeting this woman who worked at Walmart, and she was uh, in a wheelchair. And you know, I'm in—I was in the complex wheelchair industry at the time, and I said, you know, you really should get try and think about getting a wheelchair that will stand up, so you'll be at eye level. And because she was like leaning over, and it was really hard on her back, and she's like, oh, I've had all these back surgeries and everything, and I said. Well, you know, you should talk to them. I mean, the chair's old. You know, you you probably qualify for a new wheelchair. And she said, "Oh no, I, d- I don't want to say anything. I'm just lucky to have a job. If I say something, you know, then I they might not want me here." And I thought, how sad is that? Um, that was one thing. And then um, a guy that I used to work for or work with. Um, in our finance department, his he has a child with a disability, and they've you know it's cost millions of dollars um, just in different surgeries. He has charge syndrome, and this guy is a workaholic. I mean, he is the best guy, smartest guy I've ever met in the in finance, um, and he. The, when he when his son was going to have surgeries or whatever he would take his laptop he'd be sitting in the hospital on his laptop working. but he was also concerned that you know, hey, you know they pay a lot for my benefits and I don't ever want to like you know do anything to you know upset the apple cart and I'm thinking, dude, you work all the time, like you are the most dedicated person in this company. And you know, I'd call him at midnight, hey, I need these codes and reimbursement to send to CMS. And he'd be analyzing stuff at midnight. I mean, I'm not joking. And so, you know, it's sad that people think about that, or they have to hide these things, um, especially things that you know, you absolutely should never have to hide. Uh, You know, if you have your child with a disability and you're, you know, have things that are going on in your home and like, how can you make it easier, um, you know, for these people? So.
1: Well, and I think it's, I often talk about accessibility and accommodations and really accommodations around how can we level set accommodations? Like, because I think what we've gotten into is this thing that only people with disabilities need accommodations and that then it sets us it sets up people with disabilities to be high maintenance or difficult or i'm gonna to have to spend money as a leader a manager on this accommodation wouldn't it be better if we started to ask people how do we support you at work like what do you need to to bring your best self to work but how do you what kind of supports do you need and recognizing that i think melissa one of the the sweet spots of disability is that and why I think your podcast is so important is that disability will affect all of us at some point each one of us whether you're born with a disability whether you acquire one at some point of your life or you're taking care of somebody with a disability you will Mm -hmm. encounter disability and you don't always know when it's going to happen and it's also the largest minority group and it's actually intersectionality at its best. I mean, it's literally, you can be any race, any gender, any age, any sexual orientation and have a disability. So how come we still have the stigma and the stereotypes around disability and that disability is seen as a bad thing or a difficult thing or a negative thing? So how do we reown the word and reown the concept? Because if it's truly going to happen to all of us, then why aren't we making workplaces where you can, everyone in the initial interview is asked, what supports do you need to do your job? Period. Right. Like, so that you're you know, not in this trouble for asking.
0: I think that people with disabilities, and I'm going to say this, I just feel like they're the most discriminated group um, that we have in the country. And and I think it's terrible because, you know, we're sitting there talking about, you know, gender and all these different transgender people, all these all these different topics, but, but the people that sometimes are the most vulnerable population in the country, they have to fight for every single thing that they get, you know, whether it's a job or whether it's the right equipment that they need or the, uh, you know, a ventilator, I work for a ventilator company, you know, the right to breathe. Um, you know, it's ridiculous. The amount of, you know, fight, you know, fight that they have to go through in order to medically justify that, you know, the things that they need. Um, and, and that's really, you know, that's I've advocated for people with disabilities forever, um, but I just think it's ridiculous that the fact that we live in the United States of America and that, you know, people would have to fight for to get a wheelchair or fight to get, you know, a ventilator paid for, it to me, it's just crazy.
1: An accommodation, right. I think, I mean, I might challenge it only to say there's enough room at the table for all the lenses of diversity to have conversation. The last- right piece of this puzzle and the last frontier is absolutely disability. Like we have, it's a place that we need to be talking about a lot more. It's part of my passion project of how do we expand the diversity conversation? Because I truly believe there's enough room at the table to, there's enough pie to feed us all. And so how do we make sure, and with disability being the largest minority group, and honestly for businesses, it's the largest potentially largest revenue because of the um, because of people buy purchasing power of the disability community. I also think, um, to your point, it's because when we start to silo it right and say, well, we're, we should be getting this and they shouldn't like then we start to fight over something that doesn't need to be fought over, right? Like that's how we then we start to get angry with other groups. There is enough room. And because disability does have intersectionality at its core, I am a woman, I have a disability. Like, those are two things. Like, that, I don't need to fight with women for that space. Like, there, that. that's what I think about the idea of intersectionality. That's how it plays into this conversation, is there's enough room at the table for us to be really expanding our resources. And you're right. In the U.S., I mean, I was just on the phone this morning with someone in the U.K. who said, oh, yeah, here, if we need an accommodation, we basically we'll get it done within four to six weeks. There is no like backlog. And I said, I know, but we have a great healthcare system in this country. So maybe that's the trade-off, but I don't, it should not be that hard to um, get necessary things um, for us. Yeah, and to fight and to have to, I mean, I think it was talking to you and I know several other people who are in the disability space, just the fight of having to prove why you need something is so, um, gosh, what's the right word? It's it's so dehumanizing and demoralizing that people often then, like your example, give up. They're like, "Well, I'm not going to be the troublemaker. I, I don't have the energy. I'm just lucky to have this." That's
0: right. Not- yeah, I mean, I try and put myself in someone else's shoes, and you know, and I think you know, I've talked to people and in, in certain health plans years ago. Um, that would say, you know, well, why should we pay for this Cadillac of wheelchair? Or why should we pay for somebody to go to Target and Walmart? Like, well, I'm sorry, but if I'm in a wheelchair, I want to go to Target. I want to go to Walmart, you know, or wherever, you know, I want to go to Arby's. I think that's what she said. It's like, I just think that there are people that they are not around people with disabilities. So they have no idea, you know, what the challenges are. Or and,
1: even think of themselves as ever having going to have a disability, right? right. You yeah, would and
0: it can to happen to you in a second. Like that. Yeah, it could be a car accident. It could be an illness. You know, people are diagnosed with ALS. You know, it, it's crazy that you know. I just I just think that uh, we got to do a better job as a country and to get people what they need.
1: And it's it's like the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have done to you, and what that why I think about that with disability is if you were in the situation, and that's a very privileged, I recognize way to think about it. But like, if you were in the situation, how would you want to be treated? How would you want to be asked about your disability? How would you want to be accommodations made or accessibility? And so if we can, I mean, we can't truly put ourselves in someone else's shoes, but if we could for a moment, and I definitely talk about this in my book, if we could for a moment, what would we think differently about? How would we think differently?
0: Yeah. Just being self-aware too of knowing yeah. how how we want to be treated and how would someone else want to be treated right. too.
1: Um, no, I often go to, there's a deli and I go to get tomato slices on the side of my sandwich or whatever on my bagel. And I'll say to them, what tomato slices would you want? Not the ones that you're going to give me, but which ones would you want? Because then it's like, oh, wait, this is personal. And I know that's not the same metaphor, but it is that idea of what would you want done? Like, what would you want?
0: So now that you're unhiding your hand, I mean, do do people ever, do they stare? Do you, do you still get kind of like where you feel like it's negative feedback?
1: I think that the staring probably is the hardest part of disability. I, I think that's definitely a layer that's still tough. Like when somebody, cause you see them, somebody will notice it, which we do. It's the human brain. We want to see, um, symmetry, like in terms of body, I think the staring's hard. I think sometimes I was, um, away and I was in a parking lot and someone just a couple of years ago, and someone yelled across the parking lot, did you cut that off yourself? Like, did you cut your hand off yourself? Like, that's weird. Like, why would I do that? So inappropriate comments are hard. And then I think
0: well, sure. that's just
1: it's weird, not um,
0: appropriate. Yeah. yeah.
1: And people stare and say, like, yeah, and say things. Um, I think the other piece with disability that is hard is the blurring of boundaries. Sometimes people will reach out and grab my hand and ask to pray for it. And I did not invite them in for that space. It's like someone going up to a pregnant woman, putting their hand on their their stomach and without asking. Like it's, it's an invasion. I think that happens a lot with disability. It's that I'm allowed to ask you what happened to you. I'm allowed to touch you and or push your wheelchair without asking you because I'm making an assumption that you want that or that that's okay. And I think there are a lot of blurred boundaries and disability. So I would say that's still hard. I mean, I take the prayers. I'll say, Oh, you could pray for me, but it's not gonna grow. But could I have some other requests if you're if I'm putting in requests, here's the requests I want. And do you
0: have a little fun with it? Do you do you kind of joke with your friends and, and with other people?
1: I'm learning. It it took it's still it's undoing some of those tapes because and I remember um, that guy that taught me how to unhide. I remember him saying, can we joke about it? Can I say something? And I'm like, I was not ready in the beginning. I mean, now, yes, I have more fun with it, but it, it, it you know, disability is also something that I can, I am starting to have fun with. I don't know that we want to encourage other people to make fun of disability, right? Like it's, it's a right thing. Um, but yes, I'm starting to, and there's still moments that I test out things. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's really me. Like, <laughs> I'm good.
0: Yeah, you know, you gotta live in your authentic self. So yeah. I, I love that you you answered it that way. I mean, people are different, right? So I I had Dayton Weber on my podcast um, a few weeks ago, and he has no arms, no legs, and he's a cornhole champion. But wow. he makes jokes. Yeah, it's crazy. You should look him up. He is like legit cornhole champion. He's in all these tournaments. Um, he's got sponsors. He's going viral on TikTok, but um, he makes fun of himself. Like, I mean, he has these jokes and and you know. But what what's fine for one person doesn't work for another person. Absolutely. So, yeah, and I think that it's good that you know you're living your authentic self and you want to be respected and you've done a lot enough to be respected. Um, and you know, I you know maybe you don't even who knows. Maybe people are looking. Maybe you think they're looking. You know, maybe they're curious. Um, you know, I don't know.
1: I think the other piece is, you know, it's funny. Um, kids will ask, right? Like kids are, have no filters. Like that's the beauty of children is they have no filters, So they'll ask. And immediately what happens, Melissa, is a parent or a guardian or someone watching them will come over and say, I'm so sorry they asked you. You're not supposed to ask questions like that. Don't say that. And so we message two things to kids about disability. We message first, don't be curious, like curiosity is a bad thing, which is a natural childhood thing because usually when a kid asks and I tell them, "Oh, this is how I was born." There's always something, there's something different about all of us. They're off. They don't care. They're like, "Oh, okay, you answered my question. I'm done." And the second thing that we signal is about disability specifically, which is we message disability is something you don't talk about. And That's a challenge because as we were all kids and we probably received that message. And so as we grow up, that's the language we have about disability, that it's not a good thing, that it's difficult, that we're not supposed to make fun of it. We're not supposed to talk about it. And so, yeah, everybody's on their own journey with in the disability space for sure. I only represent one voice. Fine. like I like to talk about my disability now. It took me a long time to get there. And I like to talk about it. There are other people who don't wanna talk about it. And I, and so I frame it with people when they say, well, how do I ask somebody about their disability? I say, ask yourself, why do you need to know? That's the first thing. And then are you asking out of a place of kindness and support? Are you asking because you wanna be helpful? And are you asking to be kind? If the answer is no, just because you wanna know, you don't get the right, sorry. That's not reality Um, and be okay if people don't want to answer it. That's their boundary Um, because people are on different parts of this and it's not, I guess the other piece, Melissa, is it's not all of a person's identity. It's just a piece of it. I I have a disability. That's a part of me. It's not all of me, but am I willing to talk about it? Yes, I am. That's me though. But so yeah, everybody's on a different path with this piece, with this journey. And that's true for all differences.
0: So you did a TEDx talk. Mm. So talk about that a little bit.
1: It is an amazing opportunity. Have you ever done a TEDx or want to do a TEDx, Melissa?
0: I have not yet. I I am part of a speaker sisters group and I have developed a keynote and I thought someday I might do that, but I have not. It looks a little intimidating being there up on the stage by yourself. And I don't know. I spoke in front of a thousand people, but. There's something also about having a crowd to kind of work off of and then also just having a camera like shooting right at you with uh, nobody on the other side, really. And And there's not not very many people in there, right, when you're giving the talk.
1: It depends on where you do it, for sure. And sometimes it's more than one camera. It's like it's different angles getting you. Um, I think the, the hardest part and the challenge that you have to be ready for with a TEDx and a TED is the amount of time you get. So it's 18 minutes or less, and the best ones are 12 to 13 minutes, like, and even less. And so to get an idea worth spreading in less than 12 minutes or 13 minutes is really hard because there's so much you want to say. And there's so, keynotes are wonderful and beautiful because they can be expanded. They can be contracted. Like you kind of, you know, you get some play and wiggle room. TEDx they cut you off. Like you have a timer that is there. And so it's getting your message so down, so ready and so solid. Um, I loved it though. And I met incredible people who also wanted to do TEDx's and it was, it's, I thought everybody in the world wanted to do it. And when I left, I did mine in outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And when I left there, and I came home and was all excited. People like, oh, I would never do that. I've never wanted to do that. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, it was an incredible experience um, just to be able to then have it go virtual and viral in so many ways, right? So that people would see it and hear your message beyond a stage. It was behind a corporate, beyond a corporate stage.
0: Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I, I know, you know, a lot of people, even with podcasts and such, they say, you know, oh, you should shorten your podcast, be, you know, eight to 10 minutes. That's, that's the attention span of people, you know, with all these TikToks and social media, they want this instant gratification and then move on to something else. But I think what I love about, you know, having a longer um, opportunity to talk to people is that you get down to a deeper conversation. Like there are things that come out of having deeper, longer conversations than what you might not get in that you know, 15 minute or whatever, 20 minute TED talk, um, you know, that you, you're not going to get in that. Um, So that's kind of why, you know, I think it's good to have kind of both. Um, But I think it's it's a tease.
1: TEDx is just a tease. Like, it's just a, it's a idea that gets a little bit of like, you're giving that idea so that people can think about it. Like, what is it? Why is this worth spreading? Um, Yeah, no, my TEDx was called, um, when I stopped hiding, I found freedom. And it was this idea of so many of us are hiding parts of ourselves.
0: And the yeah, way and people find can find it, that on, they can find that on YouTube, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And even on the TED website, it's there. Um, and it's this idea also of how we define, and I think it's a little bit what you were mentioning before, which is this idea of how we define diversity sometimes contributes to people hiding part of themselves, because if you don't feel included in the race racial conversations, you don't feel included in gender conversations or the sexual orientation conversations. How do you get included? Right. So and I think disability being that last frontier is a really important piece to the conversation.
0: So you did this TED talk and then you've kind of taken it a step further. You went to write this best selling book called Single Handedly. Um, so tell me about writing a book and getting it published and now, and I think you've gotten all kinds of different interviews, opportunity. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yes. The behind the scenes, the kind of VH1 behind the music piece of it is I came back all super excited from the TEDx thinking, oh, this is going to blow up my speaking. I'm, this is it. I have my real speaker reel because I have a speaker reel, but the TEDx, that's, that's incredible. And somebody introduced me to a speaker's bureau and the speaker's bureau um, individual said, that's great, but where's your book? And I said, I know I have a spe- I speak like you see that I have conversation and I have language. I've thought about it because that's the other beauty of Ted is that it forces you to crystallize your ideas and really get clarity. And so he said, yeah, you need a book. And if you're going to do the work that you want to do. And so I thought about it. People gave a lot of advice about what kind of book I should write. I mean, was it the top 10 questions I get asked when I speak? Was it um, a, a how to guide for DEI and HR professionals around diversity and expanding the conversation? And then at one point, I. Just kept going back because people liked the stories I was telling. Like they they liked hearing because that's how people I think learn best is the stories. And I started to think, should I get a ghostwriter to write it? That seemed weird because it was my stories. Um, and I found a book coach who was awesome. And what she did is she won't work with people who write use ghostwriters. You have to write the book. And what she did is she helped me think about the outline of what was the arc of the story that I was telling. And it was this journey of hiding and learning to unhide. And as I started to get clarity around that, I started to see what stories needed to be told. And then what were the insights that I now as an adult understood from those stories? And then what were the reflection questions that Melissa, you and potentially your audience would start to ask themselves about it, right? Like, what were were some of those key questions that you'd never really thought of about disability, about diversity, about just the things in your own life that you were hiding? And that, it was about a six-month journey of writing and writing every day and creating a content map of what was I writing about. And then I, got, I found a publisher, a hybrid publisher because I didn't want to self publish and I didn't, it was going to take two years or a year and a half to two years to get a publisher. Um, and I wanted my book out now because I think the conversation is now. And so I went with a hybrid publisher who helped me with the cover design and the layout and getting it out there. And it was one of the best decisions, if not the best decision I made around my book.
0: Yeah, so now it's like everywhere. I know that like the now if you're you have you been on the Today show yet?
1: Not yet. I'm I gotta figure out a way to get there. I have a public Yeah, school. I
0: said that's gonna be my goal. I wanna get you on the Today Show because I feel like, you know, they should be reaching out to you and um you know, it's kind of out there all over the place. So you've literally went from hiding a hand, this little hand for twenty five years, mm-hmm. to unhiding it getting out and talking to the whole world about it i see you on a podcast all the time now and different videos and uh speaking at different engagements here's a picture of you speaking um at some different organiz- uh i don't know what this is but you're speaking in a large group but you are literally out there now you've written a book um you know you're doing everything and it's crazy you've come like 360 right or do you I- say 180 is that 180 or 360
1: <laughs> I think it's both, <laughs> I, think it's both. Um, I think it's probably 180 because it's that it's that opposite side and I yeah it's um, and what's amazing is that I'm creating a community and a movement around unhiding like that's the goal so that how do we create safe places for people who feel like they have to hide something how do they unhide so that in the workplace and in their communities, it isn't such, you can start to talk about things that you're hiding. Um, And I can't believe I'm even thinking about a second book like that.
0: Well, I've got an idea for your second book. I just came up with this. I think that you should write a book of all the things that people tell you that they're unhiding. So all the secrets, they've got it. I'll bet you that you hear so many juicy stuff you know of people saying you know what this is what I they feel more comfortable just saying you know what I'm just going to tell you what I hide
1: absolutely no You're not is a tool almost like a key into people because when I share what I've been hiding and how I unhid it's almost Melissa like people's shoulders relax and they take an exhale and they say let me tell you what I'm hiding. I even have, when I speak at corporations, I have either virtually, I do it through a jot form, an anonymous form that says, what are you hiding? But I also have a postcard campaign that I give out when I'm in person at events of what are you hiding? Because, and I have seen, I mean, the sad part is that people are in a lot of pain. People are hiding things, whether it's something that you think about every day and you stress about like I did or whether it's things like you just take for granted, you're like, well, I have to deal with this. I'm in chronic pain. I have to deal with this. I have mental health issues I'm just dealing with, but I'm not telling anyone. And they think they have to live in such solitary confinement or in terms in such isolation. And they don't. Um, And yes, there are groups that it is unsafe to unhide right now. Um, I absolutely recognize that and understand the privilege of unhiding. And, it, I'm not talking about like what you're suggesting with me. I'm not talking about you have to go on a road show and do every podcast or go to every corporation and go on the Today Show, which your lips to God's ears, I swear. I absolutely want to be on the Today Show with the third hour. I see it um, because it is, it's something that we're all dealing with, but you can do it in small pockets. Like you can just mm-hmm. start to get those people who are around you, you build your community, build your group. Um, so yeah, I think it is, it's a global, I'm trying to build a global movement around unhiding and that second book is absolutely filled with stories of unhiding. Um, and so I'm marinating on it now. I, that's how my term that I've been using a lot lately, Melissa is marinating everything. I'm marinating huh? so one woman show. And I want to write a second book and I want to turn single-handedly into a feature film. Um, and so that's it too is like so who to, would
0: play you who would who would play you on a in a good film
1: Good question it would have to be someone with a limb difference because I'm not I mean do I have my dream of Reese Witherspoon playing me? yeah, absolutely but that's not to character like I have a limb difference. Why would I want someone who didn't have one playing me like I would want that but Reese is definitely
0: or you could just play yourself maybe you could be in a movie
1: I could be in a movie I have so many things I want to do Melissa like it's that space of, but I do have priorities. I think the second book is absolutely a priority. And yeah, turning this into a place where people feel like it's safe to unhide. How do we create that in the workplace? How do we create that in our communities?
0: So here's a picture of your book. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. So learning to unhide and embrace connection, Ruth Rathlot. And so how many uh, books have you sold so far?
1: Yeah, it's over a thousand, it's only been out a year and it is, I have a lot of corporations that buy it for the people that come to hear me speak as a, really a way to reinforce the learning about what I talk about. Um, but I've had globally, it's it's an international bestseller, so it's sold globally. I have it in all formats. It's on in print edition, because I actually love books. I like the feel, and feel of books. It's on Kindle. To make it easy to access, and it's also I did the audiobook of it.
0: That's great. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I would encourage viewers to make sure that you go on Amazon, buy the book, um, learn how you know you can help other people uncover you know the things that they're hiding, and yeah, yeah no. and I mean I'm curious too. What what were the big um, kind of takeaways of the book? Like what were the main things that you talked about that people are most interested in?
1: Yeah, I think, and just even to what you just, you said something really critical, I think even if you're not hiding, how do you become an ally, right? Because there's a statistic that I reference in the book that 61% of employees are hiding something about themselves in the workplace, and only 36% of people feel like they belong in the workplace. And we know that 61% number was from 10 years ago. I think that number is a lot higher of people hiding, especially with those off cameras and the muted microphones that we've all dealt with over the last three years. So I think people are hiding. Um, I think the takeaways from the book, it's a great question. I think it's the exploration of yourself. It's having people think about, wait, what am I hiding? If it's true that most people are hiding something, how am I hiding and how is it holding me back? And what does it look like to unhide and to set myself free a little bit? I mean, when I, when the book first came out, someone approached me and said, I I read your book and I want to tell you, I've been hiding an addiction for 30 years. You're the first person I'm telling about it. I didn't even realize that I was hiding it from my friends and family or the person who was hiding their scar on their cheek and thinking, wow, I'm always covering it up. Why am I doing that? It's, it's an introspective book. It, it's, it definitely is a curiosity book. It allows for thinking about yourself. Um, and most people like to think about themselves or to talk about themselves. So this gives them an opportunity to think. Um, and I say that tongue in cheek because it, it is, it thinks you think about yourself and how you're, how it's holding you back. How can you thrive? Um, if you're hiding, you can't. So how Unhiding allows for thriving and belonging. And feeling right. seen is heard.
0: Right. Overcoming those barriers, right. And being seen. So this is the See the Unseen podcast. And so, um, you know, that's what I was thinking about when I first talked with you. I was like, you know what? You have to be on the Today Show. Um, how can I help you do that? And um, and I, I hope maybe, who knows, maybe this podcast, you know, the Today Show will reach out to you. Uh, or People Magazine or something like that, because um, I think your story is incredible. I tell your story all the time. I tell people all the time, I met this, you know, they asked me, well, why are you starting a podcast? And I said, well, I want to bring visibility to people with disabilities is one part of it, um, help women in business or young people grow their career. I have some friends that are singer-songwriters in Nashville, and they write these songs, and these artists record them, and they're the ones that make all the you know millions of dollars. So I love the stories behind the songs, and and then also share my faith but when i say you know i i met this lady and she hid her hand for 25 years and then and they're like they're so intrigued like how is how is that even happen you know and um you know i said she was just creative about it and you know and we all hide things and that just kind of opens up the discussion and i said i want you know people to you know hear the story i want people to hear you know how they can help people. You know overcome their their fears and and barriers and be their best version of themselves, and be their authentic self. Yeah. So and I you, think what you're doing is great.
1: No, and I love the title of your podcast because it's that's what we all truly want. We want to be seen. We want to be accepted. And so how do we how do we create opportunities for that to happen? Because sometimes we have told ourselves stories that about our difference are about the thing that we're hiding that is so much worse than the thing itself. And so how do we allow for unhiding? How do we get to that space? Yeah, no, I think what you're doing, Melissa is amazing. Um, and I I remember our, that early conversation and Karen introducing us and yeah, just the connection and, and you even asking, being able to ask questions I think is the other piece, right? Because I think we often walk around so afraid of asking a question because we're going to get in trouble or we're going to get sent to HR. Well, can we create space for actually asking questions so that people don't feel like they're going to get in trouble? Um, That's another piece of this work and doing it in a safe way so that it's out of support and kindness.
0: I love that. Ruth, to wrap up, what do you want to be known for?
1: Unhiding and connection. It's about, I guess, you know what, Melissa, that's a really good question, because I've been asked that before, and I always said unhiding, and as I'm doing more and more work around unhiding, unhiding is not the end goal. The end goal is connection, and it's how do we build greater connections with people? Because if we learned anything over COVID, that connection is so important. It's actually one of the highest um, health issues that we have when you lack social connection, it's so unhealthy for us. And so, connection is probably one I wouldn't be known for. But right now, it's that middle step of unhiding. And I had people say, Oh, well, nobody's going to understand unhiding. And I said, Did everyone understand what Sheryl Sandberg meant when she said lean in? No. So, good point. I'm creating this space around unhiding, um, and it's about vulnerability and connection.
0: It, you just never know where it's going to go. Right. I mean, but just this, I love the idea that you, you know, you're now showing your hand, you're unhiding, you're living your best life, you're being your authentic self. And that's a really great place to be. I kind of feel like I'm doing that through my podcast too. It's just being able to, you know, shed the light on people who deserve the entire spotlight.
1: And even sharing part of yourself, like you opened up here with me and share, with your listeners about something that you've hidden, right? Like that's that's how we build authenticity. It's by the idea of sharing something because then someone else can say, "Oh, Melissa, me too. I've had that experience." Um, I mean, I was talking to a young, twenty-seven-year-old girl, woman, woman, um, and she talked about her anxiety, and she went to a retreat and shared about that anxiety at a retreat and someone came up to her and said, I have felt like that too. And so it's just this, it becomes a, a loop and a flywheel that when we start to share out our stories, it helps someone else.
0: Yeah. And we're not alone, right? We're not alone. right? Yeah. And that's what God calls us to do is to make connections and build relationships with people and, and help others come to know, to know God. And so that's part of my podcast too. And to share my faith and, Um, So I think that's, you know, that's, that's an awesome way. I mean, you're, you're moving forward, you're making all these different connections as well. And I wish you the best of luck doing that. Um, Do you want to let our viewers know where they can find all your information?
1: Yes, I have a website, ruthrathblot.com. I also spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, so I have a lot of conversation about expanding diversity, about disability, about hiding and unhiding on LinkedIn, so it's my first name and last name, Ruth Rathblatt, and then I spend time on Instagram, and so that people get a little bit more of me and seeing how I love theater, how I love travel adventures. I mean, there's that's the part I think about unhiding that is gorgeous, is that you can actually... Sh- to know somebody in such deeper ways and interesting ways. So that's what Unhiding, you know, I can't ever imagine going back to that other life, Melissa, of hiding um, because I see now the joy and the freedom that I get with this life.
0: Well, I love it. I love that you're telling your story. And I want, I thank you so much for being on my podcast. I wanted you to be my first person on my podcast, but we couldn't make that happen, but we did get around to it. Now you're, you're, you know, getting so famous. So, um, but I do appreciate you so much for sharing your story in the hopes of helping someone else.
1: And I think it's beautiful that you started this podcast, because it is, it's helping people in ways that I think, um, I imagine at different points, you won't even know, right? Because that's the, the silence of sometimes podcasts is you reach people that you'll never hear from. And then there's those emails that I'm sure you get, or those letters, and someone says, thank you.
0: And that's Right. The- it's those little bitty things that keep you going. You know, like for me, I just keep praying about, you know, why am I doing this? Some days I'm like, you know, I have a full time job too. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And then it's the email or the little message that someone sends and says, you know, just by listening to your message, like you made my day or keep going or whatever. So yeah, it means the world.
1: Yeah, no, people feel seen um, by someone else's story sometimes. So thank you for doing what you're doing.
0: Thank you. And to the viewers out there, too, I just want to thank you for listening. And if you like what you're hearing, please make sure that you subscribe to my YouTube channel, See the Unseen Podcast. Thank you so much, Ruth. Thanks for joining us today. And you have a great day.
1: You too. Thanks, Melissa.